This is episode 28 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Luke Stewart during the evening of July 19th, 2018, in my living room in West Philadelphia. Luke is a Washington, D.C.-based improviser who plays bass and electronics in many groups and improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over part two of Works for Upright Bass and Amplifier from the 2018 tape under his name, released by Astral Spirits. At the end of this interview, you'll hear Fireworks from the self-titled Irreversible Entanglements record, released by International Anthem in 2017. To find out more about Luke's projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out lukethings.wordpress.com. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W hyphen I-S dot org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Luke. Please feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Luke Stewart. Wait, how much research have you done on me? Exactly. <laughs> Not that much, but you mentioned this in the Jeremiah Silverman thing. I do. I got this. There we go. Yeah, this is, I love this track. And I was yeah, like, oh, of hell yeah. And the, the, the comments about having invented jungle was like apropos. It's I pretty interesting so. that. But I'm, I'm stealing your lines. It's, it's your line. I mean, it's pretty clear. Okay. It's towards the end of the song where he starts messing with the, uh, just the, the on and off of the band as a DJ would. Right. You know. Right. You think, that, is that Miles doing that? Uh, either Miles or T.O. or a combination of the two, who knows. And, 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 and hearing, hearing it in the context of the rest of the album. Yeah. And within the context of Miles' career as well. Yeah. I think it's very profound as well. How so in the, what about the rest of his career? Well, it's not Get Up With It, which is the last one before his, like, pseudo-retirement. So it's kind of like a, a record that, I suppose, a lot of people weren't really uh, paying attention to as they did in earlier records of his. But it's still, I think, innovative. Just totally. as innovative as the rest. Totally. I was reading a little bit about this, just like, about the fact that there was so many, like, so much negative assessment from a lot of, like, jazz critics, of, generally of 70s miles, and um, a lot of it, I mean, there's a lot of obvious angles about it, like selling out or being poppy or trying to cross over or something, but one of the things that was really striking to me was that there's, like, people just complain about there not being, like, the melody, you know, um, and that seems like totally missing the point that like the comp the compositional strength of this is just like putting this this sound together uh-huh. both by getting the players together and by um, yeah just like creating this sound that had never existed right. before which right. like we could have like a hundred new like nice little melodies but like nobody had ever done and this. also just creating this or really refining this method that he had been using throughout the 70s of uh, recording bands live and then going into the studio right. and cutting it up and editing and piecing it together in a way that 
people still do today. Right. And there are a lot of reasons for that because of one, because of the technological advances that were going on at the time in, in terms of recording technology and the access that he had to that with Columbia and uh, and all the the ends that he had in the in the industry. But I think that it, it's an example of one way in which people were really exploring that concept of like the producer, um, the studio producer as the the artist. Right. Totally. Yeah, I guess that's sort, sort of going along with the concept of like, you know, the the studio art equivalent of in, in music. Equivalent that, of what? Like the studio art equivalent of mute in, in music. Uh-huh. Where it's not it's not necessarily a thing where you need to have other people because music is a a communal practice in a lot in, in many ways. But I think this was a this is an example of a period in time where that started to not become the case where people could create music clearly just by themselves in the studio, recording it and editing and piecing it together the way they want to. Right. So it's a it's a practice that continues today with you know, like, like this. This is why I called it the first jungle track because it's an example of what was to come in terms of producers being in their rooms in their private studios, piecing things together, piecing their composition together, rather than um, you know doing that with a lot of people right. necessarily. Right. Even though this was obviously done with a lot of people, but the, the real process of it is in the studio. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I guess it's, it's unsurprising that that would be offensive to uh, people with conservative ideas about what jazz could be because the whole like, conception of like the acousticness of jazz, yeah. and kind of like immediacy of like improvisation next to people. Yeah, I mean, obviously Miles didn't concern himself with that kind of that kind of stuff, and. A lot of, in a lot of ways, the, those attitudes are kind of irrelevant to the, the actual art making. He was on his path, and it continued. And people look back now on this album, even though this is still one of the more obscure albums in his entire body of work. It's still a, a highly revered um, piece, I think. Um, I mean, it's clear that they have such a a deep relationship, and it's a storied relationship as well. You know, you, Charlie Parker, I mean, Charlie Hayden often tells that story about how when he first met Ornette and went over to his house and were playing compositions, I imagine it was something like this. You know, something really intimate, and you can really hear that. Charlie Hayden's has such a personality on the bass that it's, gone, it's almost kind of like it, some of the things have become sort of standard uh, devices that can be used. What are those things? The, the ostinatos, the, um, the different sort of scalular runs. Scalar runs means 
going like, up the scale or what do you mean? Yeah, like, you know, just kind of going up the scale, the, but... Like there was a there was a section in there where you know he's kind of going going straight up the scale, and he really really, as opposed to I guess the sound that that uh, that Hayden tends to be identified with in the '70s, this one is clearly the, an acoustic recording, which is really nice. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure he appreciated that too. He. One of the, one of the big lessons that I, that I've that I've learned from studying him was the that apparently I never obviously I never got to see him or or meet him unfortunately but he apparently used to at the beginning of, of each sort of sound check whenever they would get to the the venue he would take out his bass and sort of play it acoustically to find the best spot for him to stand, which is very important as a, a bass player, especially when you're dealing with drummers that play loud, which is a lot of drummers in, uh, nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's really important for the bass player to find the, the, the best position in the room right. where the bass can be projected properly and so the bass player can hear themselves as well. Um, I, it, it always baffles me really, you know, before people used amplifiers um, consistently or like the, the type of amplifiers that we use today, how acoustic bass players playing high energy um, free jazz or whatever would be able to be heard. Right. You know, it baffles me all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we I, know the, amp the amplifiers you're talking about coming in? I mean, I mean, they, they were there, but it just wasn't, from what I understand, it wasn't widely used, in, right. especially in some of the, the um, in like the loft performances and right. things like that. They were mostly in New York. A lot of them were acoustic. Okay, yeah, I, did, I guess I didn't know that. You know, because I associate that time period with like the beat burgeoning, also of that like rubber band sounding kind of right. Like right, right, bass right. sound that is not necessarily aged right. very well. <laughs> right. But also, even even before that, just I mean, in, even in just playing straight bebop, just having a microphone right right there on the bass. And, you know that doesn't really do much for the bass player themselves mm -hmm. in terms of, in terms of hearing themselves. Right. So you know the setup, a lot of times were different. The action would be higher, different strings would be used to make it project more, and also you know different styles of playing. Oh, here's our solo here. Oh, yeah. You want to have any thoughts about it? <laughs> I mean, Charlie Hayden's a a pretty bass player. What do you mean? Like he he likes to make the bass sound pretty. Okay. And and how? Well, you, you can hear it in in some of his interviews how he talks about you know he 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 likes to make a a beautiful sound in in his bass playing, and he doesn't like to do too much as a bass player. You know that that concept of doing too much, whatever that means to to whomever. 
So, you know, a, a very melodic sounding bass player, a, vo- a, a vocal sounding bass player, if right. you will. Okay. So vocal sounding and melodic sounding means like playing lines that could be sung if you wanted Perhaps. to, as opposed to doing like what? Is, or, yeah, what does it mean? Yeah, yeah, it could it could mean that. Um, what else could it mean? Just just going along with a melody, like going along with a with emotion. It's very like well, all, all music is emotional, I I think, but a, a very sort of romantic, I guess, sounding um, approach to the bass playing and I mean it just in just this conversation that that really obviously matches with Ornette and his often described sound as being a vocal sort of saxophonist there is for you yeah. <laughs> sounds like he's people talk about his cry yeah or you know it sounds like the human voice talking in, in the way that he plays and in the way that that Hayden plays Again, the vocal use of melody, the, a melody that can be sung. He's accompanying in a way that that enhances that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I guess that's sort of different from like the idea of and like like avant-garde instrument playing is being exploring like the properties of the instrument as opposed to exploring something that could be transcribed. Right. I don't really have a question about that, but yeah, is yeah. that, does that seem like a yeah, contrast? Yeah, rather than, he's not playing, he's playing notes, he's not playing sounds. Right. That a lot of sort of, you know, so, so-called avant-garde music seems to explore or has the the identity or or the the perception of being exploring sound rather than notes necessarily. Yeah, for sure. The different parameters of of what sound can be or or using sound in different ways rather than having a series of notes and a melody and harmony although all those things exist still, like there's still pitch and, and, and notes, if you will, and sounds that can be organized melodically even. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, all, it's all just different approaches. To, yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah sure, thing. sure. You know, I was just saying it's because it's kind of interesting that that what you're saying makes sense for what these guys are doing but like yeah this this they're also part of the movement that's a movement in music that's inventing like doing the other thing which is not playing something that couldn't be playing something that could not be transcribed the way that like some fire music 66 kind of whatever you want to have right. you know like is precisely something that couldn't be like you could it's not like a tune that could be played by somebody else whereas right. this totally is I mean, even Ornette in all his avant-garde free jazzness, he's yeah. playing notes the whole time. Yeah. He doesn't play, he doesn't scream, really. He doesn't yeah. do a, a lot of, I mean, he does overblow, but he doesn't do it in, again, a sonic, a sound kind of way. Like, he's still playing notes. Black Dada nihilismus. <laughs> Against what light? 
is false. What Never bread seen this movie? sucked for deadness? Uh, no, there's a movie of them performing this? There's a movie about, there's a documentary about them. Against God, made by my good friend Alan him. Roth. Oh, don't, I don't know. Forgive or even call him. So obviously I picked this because you, you've been playing underneath somebody reading a lot with her irreversible entanglements. So I wasn't sure if the act of doing that informs, like, if you listen back to this sort of, like, this is kind of like defining early documentation of, like, yeah. people doing that. Well, we, we've, we've often used New York Art Quartet as a... We, we've often listened to them as a, a, a major influence on the band, obviously. Sure. As being a band that includes a poet, right. which is what they were. So listening to this now, do you what do you what do you hear? What do I hear? What do you hear about what they're doing? <laughs> what do you mean? What do I hear? <laughs> Good question. What? Yeah. From Sartre. I mean, you know, what's notable to you? What are you? What are you? Uh, what are you interested in? What are you, what, like, what's inspiring? What's like the words. Well, the words. I mean, it's Baraka. Yeah. The interactions with the band. Yeah. It's all amazing. How are they interacting? A window on a dark warehouse. You'll have to ask them <laughs> how they're interacting. New homes. I mean, I, I hear them for those interacting with each other as a group. And a cult of death. It's of not like a, striking arm under a backing track or a background the to, the, from under their to the poet, earth to Baraka, there's an interaction with his voice and his words and the, and his, the rhythm of his speech. Totally. This is obviously what we try to do. Um, in the similar way that a lot of the things are explicit and shocking. It's... Baraka was was speaking with urgency, and I think that obviously Kamei speaks with urgency, and we try to play with urgency. Yeah, yeah. I can say that that being on stage with Kamei and listening to the words, like it, it, the music automatically just gets intense for me. It's almost like the those words start to embody, you know, my fingers and the notes that are being played, mm -hmm. and the the sounds and the emotions that are being being uh, portrayed in the music when we're on stage together. She's creating that vibe with the words. Those words are then injected into the music, and the music in, injects then, you know, just lifts the whole intensity of it all. How do, how does that? inform how you're like doing something like choosing like pitches or you know degrees of intensity or textures mm -hmm. or something like that yeah it definitely goes to degrees of intensity yeah that's what it is there are certain parts where she'll repeat a certain phrase or a certain passage in, in one of her poems it's almost like a you know you have to react it's another poetry piece 
this one is actually not. This album has it. Um, but this track does not have reading on it. What is this? Uh, is it the Black Paladins? Yeah. yeah. Kira told me, recommended I play this for you. Right. Get my, get my information straight. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Johnny Johnny. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, well, he has a. I like his approach. He's another. He's another speed bass player. In speed bass player. In, in, some, in some ways. Meaning he plays fast. Yeah. That's interesting you said because certainly not playing fast here. Not here, but yeah. In, he, a, in other. In other contexts, he plays fast, but he also. You know, he play he plays in a lot of different ways, including fast. But as opposed to Charlie Hayden, you never hear him play fast the way that sure. Johnny Johnny does. Yeah, Joseph Jarman is uh, his non-art ensemble records of the art ensemble. His, his are some of my favorites for sure. Yeah. And of course, this is. I think this is the one that has uh, Henry Dumas on it, who uh, who's also another important link in the in the story of Afrofuturism. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I had other tracks actually in mind to ask you directly about Afrofuturism, but I wasn't thinking of it and bringing it up here, although, that, yeah, that's true. Well, we, well, we can wait. No, 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 <laughs> you bring it out whenever you want. We, we, we can wait on that. Okay. I'll see. So, so right there, he's playing sound. Yeah. Particular sort of, I guess, one of those pseudo ba pseudo ballad vibes that that people fall into. Okay, that's not pseudo ballad. Pseudo ballad sounds bad, but no, 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 no. I mean, for for lack of a better description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you mean? You know, it's a common it's a common trope that I mean, who? I, I don't want to. Yep. 
You rec- you just recognize him from the town? Yeah. I'm gonna say David Murray for the yes, listening David, audience. David Murray, <laughs> which means that's probably Fred, Fred Hopkins. It's not. Who is it? Malachi. Malachi Favors. I was listening with my head rather than my ears. Oh, okay. <laughs> Meaning you're just guessing as opposed to thinking yeah, and about Steve, it. And then Steve McCall. Yeah. Sonny Murray. See, Sonny Murray. Oh, that. The. This live in Murs. Yeah, that's right. So, what do you hear about in it? It's a. It's an, another amazing trio in yeah. this music. I guess you want to, want, to, want to talk about our Merce experience? No, not necessarily. No, that, no, I saw that you guys were there. No, no, I was not thinking about that at all. I was yeah. interested in Malachi Favors. You played with David Murray, right? I have played with David. Yeah, so that was it. Was those combination of things it just seemed like? Yeah. I mean, Malachi Favors is is funny. What when I was younger. Just sort of starting in this music, I asked uh, I asked an elder who I should listen to for avant-garde bass because obviously you know again with with jazz and things like that, it's always the horn player that gets the shine. Totally. And for for a few different reasons, probably. But you know, it's all you you immediately latch on the horn players. So it, it sometimes gets hard <clears throat> to really latch on to a particular style or approach in avant-garde bass playing right. for um, early on. So Malachi was the person to, that I was told to really investigate. Right. And did he show you the way? <laughs> Showed me a way. Yeah. Now, what was that way? Well, his tone. I mean, Malachi's got that tone. What's the tone? It's the, the hefty, fat tone. Yeah. I think he has a lot of person, personality in his bass playing, too. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one track that I like a lot. There are one album that I, that I like a lot that has Malachi on it. Is uh, um, Charles Brackeen. Um, I can see the cover in my head. It's like a. It's it's from the '80s, so it looks very '80s. Okay. And his and he's definitely got that amplified tone on it. But that was one of the first ones that I heard with him on it. There, there were one of the first ones where I recognized that it was him on it. Um, but something about it just really. I think the hit, I think the, the the thing with Malachi was his, uh, you know, I never obviously I never met him or saw him play. He was before my time, but I could feel his sense of uh, spiritual connectedness in his music and the way that he played. Um, sort of like his his connection to something greater that he's channeling. 
And how do you how do you hear that? Like, what does that sound like? What does that sound like? It's 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 not it's something that you feel more so. I think um, you can't really. There's no like scientific way to explain sure. something like that. Yeah. But it's it's just again it's just a vibe. That's that's that, that's Nicole. Yep. Oh, uh, this is um, Mandela? Or uh, Mandorla. Ma- Mandorla. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guessed it because it's a flute player, period, or because you because recognize it? Because I, I recognize this record and yeah. because I did a show for them. So. Sure. For sure. Yeah. I will say that Nicole is, is definitely one of my favorite contemporary composers, musicians. Yeah. You know, she's amazing. Some of the more some of the more, some of the more notable performances that I've seen uh, ever really have been from her. Yeah. Why? What? What she got? What, Why? What did you see? No, I mean I don't know. Tell me about it. Uh, um. There's something about just the the vibe of her compositions. She can write like just something that sounds just real, like super bad, funky, like just real sinister sounding bass lines. And uh, I think that her, obviously, her flute playing is otherworldly. Um, and just following and following what I know about her career. It's another one. It's another profound career with a, a very large body of work. I think she's a, she's a model. She, she's a contemporary model for me, for sure. Um, in terms of just staying consistent and, and staying playing your own compositions when you have the opportunity to, which is you know, and, and obviously being linked in with the. AACM tradition and the demands of that, you know, the, the demands of being a person like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a really big responsibility, and you know, not not everybody can do that, which is fine, but it's it's profound the 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 kinds of sort of like approaches that. And, and worldviews that you, that you adhere to, and have to then exist in the in current society. In a way, it's kind of hard to 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 stay hat to you know not be like walking around mad all the time <laughs> for for various reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, and she seems to be turning some of those. Feelings, emotions, thoughts, and music. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those Afrofuturist groups, too. Yeah, this is one of a couple of things that I was going to say that I wanted to bring up. <coughs> like Octavia Butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's Tamika. Mm-hmm. You know what? One of those, one of the things that's that's really tricky with instrumental music is 
sometimes you don't really get the, the full picture until you read what the, the names of the tracks are or sure. like what the, the whole idea behind it is like if I I probably wouldn't you know I probably wouldn't come to Afrofuturism if I had just heard this right and and then you know I, I wouldn't I know I wouldn't have come to that if I had just heard this without reading right the things but that's also the power in in the the artistic uh, liberties that where you get to name and, and put concepts behind these things or just go flow with the concept of just a word or a, a few words or a story like this one is you know a science fiction story so you're flowing with the inspiration of that story and this is what comes out and that's that's a beautiful thing and and you tell that story along with the music and it makes it that much more potent. Yeah. I mean, totally. I, I, I think that, I don't know, I mean, could may, maybe this is the one piece of the soundtrack of Afrofuturist thought and discussion. I will say that I, I really, really love the other one she did. The, um... The Firehouse. No, the... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, may, I don't know which label it's on. The 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 um what is it? The Xeno something sweet. Oh yeah, Xenogenesis. Yeah, Xenogenesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's amazing. Yeah. I I personally I like that one a little bit better than this one. Okay. But this is just the one track. I just this is just the one track. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I do I love the the very interesting instrumentation in this. Yeah. Tycho drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jovia is mm -hmm. an amazing, like very unique player. Um, yeah, and uh, all the all the elements are incorporated in a very interesting way. And it's visual. I guess the the words make it visual because because the the words give you the inspiration to think and imagine about yeah. what, what does that mean for you how does it sound visual to you like how do you because it, it there are different sections there's this you know that break then here comes the melody or this 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 new section so like okay like this is a, a different part of the story right and, okay. the, and the flute the flute as an instrument especially the way that Nicole plays it and, and also the way um, the shakuhashi is being played. And just the flute in general is a very emotional mm -hmm. instrument. It's an instrument that is, a, is one of those, it's definitely one of those vibey instruments for sure. Right. What, when, it's, when it's in the, in the right hands, um, it's a very personal instrument. I think it, it has to do with the the breath. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You, know, you can always because, hear. It. Yeah, that's and that and that's one that's one of the the things with uh, with woodwinds mm -hmm. is that no matter how you slice it, it's coming the 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 possibilities of the sound are coming from like your breath, like right. it's coming from you, from your essence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like your your actual 
chest is like part of the instrument. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And this is bass too? Well, sort of. <laughs> So this is a bass player. I'm, I imagine there's bass on this. Oh, is this uh, this isn't the Dawn of Midi dude? Uh, no. Kasim, whatever. No. Spell it, man. What is it? Uh, Mike Mikowski. This is, okay. This is um. This is the. This isn't the. Is this on Astro Spirits? It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nate Cross suggested I play this for you. So, I mean, the obvious reasons would be same label, same yeah. instrument. <laughs> but I don't know if there's any particular thing that you would uh, observe. Yeah, I, I, I just got hip to this this dude recently, obviously. Recently. And what were I, you? I haven't done my, well, well now, now I'm doing my diligence. Let the record show Luke is on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to it, what do you think? It's interesting. Yeah. Why? I want to know what what he's doing. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. He's he's using all he's using a bunch of different shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, who knows how much of this. He's got synthesizer, percussion, piano, vibraphone, samples, and field recordings. Yeah, I don't know if there's really any significant connection to what you're doing on that album. To, yeah, I don't, think this. This is, I don't think there's any feedback in this. I think, <clears throat> I think that the, the, real, the real crux of my concept is that I'm using the exact same setup as any other bass player would except I'm doing something completely different. Right. You know? It's interesting, bass players, that use a lot of different things alongside themselves with, and when they play solo. Mm -hmm. Like the prepared bass stuff and like, you know, the... I'm talking about double bass players yeah. as well. You know, the double bass stuff or the, I mean, the, the double bass with uh, electronics or like processed through, um, excuse me, processed through Max MSP or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. seem less uh, less authentic to you or something like that. No, no, no. It's all authentic. Right. I don't hold any like hierarchical things like that in my head. It's all it's all good. Yeah. And I think that this I think this sounds great, like I said, and it was recorded very well. Yeah. It's kind of got like it's kind of mood music the same way that the Miles track from the beginning is. I feel like I have heard this. I recognize that, this part right here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe, maybe he's, 
running his bass through his uh, synthesizer rig or something is being looped. <clears throat> yeah, hard to know. I saw him play a solo set at Elastic. Oh, yeah? There's totally, with no effects at all. It's just... So it was just a, solo, just a yeah. solo acoustic bass. Yeah, it was really nice, too. It didn't sound anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me want to check him out, and then I checked out this album, and it sounded did it sound nothing like, like this. Did it sound like the bass? <laughs> yeah, when he played there, it sounded like the bass. Yeah. And he's one of these Berlin guys. Yeah. Yeah, he's Australian. Australian. But lives in Berlin. I see. I mean, that's a thing. That's very much a thing. Living in Berlin. Well, like, there's a there's a particular approach that I've... I mean, that I, I don't know if I'm correct in this, but just from my perspective, what I've heard from Berlin-style improvised music, you know, the, the, there's a lot of... Like, it's quiet, a lot more... Um, slow moving slowly developing a lot more subtle mm-hmm. rather than the you know the super loud intense yeah you know hard playing of any number of different scenes I'm not saying that people don't play like that in Berlin as well but just from what I've heard yeah from people in Berlin yeah it tends to be you know it could be like a European like distance from the American jazz tradition, I guess. The yeah, I don't, explanation. I don't know. Maybe that's too simple. I'm not. I I really don't know. That that's something I have to investigate a little bit more. <laughs> so what, is this uh, some, some Steve? Yeah, close some, enough. Some glass. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, one, one of those guys. Deeper, yeah, but deep. The the deepest one. I don't know. That's who's, who's the deepest one? Yeah, Terry some, Riley. Some, 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 some Lamont Young? No, Terry Riley. Terry Riley. Say, yeah. Okay. Lamont Young is too deep. Okay. And Terry Riley is just right. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, I don't know. But, like... Yeah. The the minimalist, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of, like... I felt like in that album, listening to, to your album, I mean, like, there's a lot of parts where you're, like, drawing on the sound of repetition yeah for sure yeah for sure and I think that again I'm using the same setup that any bass player is using so like it's I think just just the in the initial setup is minimal it's a a minimalist concept right I I think I'm I'm intentionally doing that I think right even though the way I came about it um, was just through sheer development um, but yeah, I think it, it, it was it was definitely intentional to be as minimal as possible. Right. So it's interesting you say minimal. There's two different senses of minimal there that don't necessarily mean the same thing. But can dovetail maybe like in your album, which is minimal, like not doing too much uh, in what you set up, and yeah, in your setup versus the output being minimal in the sense of like working with small cells of information and just 
drawing yeah. on them. And it makes sense that they would coincide, but they're not necessarily the same thing. I think the latter is, is more so. Just drawing on the small cell in terms of the small setup, I'm using my bass and I'm using my amplifier, and that's all. Yeah. And but also, you still could play all over the place. I could play all over the place, and it, and it would sound like a loud bass. Right. But it doesn't sound just like a loud bass. You know? Yeah. It, it, there's, it sounds like you can hear the amplifier. You know, you can, you can really hear that, and it's being used as an instrument. Um, and the music that's being made you, does indeed utilize a lot of repetition. Yeah. Because that's the way I'm hearing it right. at this particular moment, or at that particular moment. Right, right. Um, rather, that that was built on you know a lot of development and right. creation and concept, and, and it is a I, I I do consider it a piece because it's a it's something that I practice and something that that I had arranged and. I arranged those sounds in that particular way. Yeah. Were you thinking at all of the tradition of minimalist music when doing it? Uh, not necessarily, no. I think... Maybe. I wasn't really necessarily particularly thinking about Terry Riley or anybody like that. Um, but, it, but it definitely did cross my mind, like, minimalism. And I think in a lot of the things that I've done that are, you know, more experimental have been minimal. Yeah. Um, I used to do a project where I was just playing a radio. Um, like, like just radio. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've done things with like just a microphone, things like that. So I think when, in, in terms of the context of just straight up, quote, experimental music, mm -hmm. for me, for for my own contribution to that, I, I enjoy dealing in, in minimal setups and in minimal um, sounds. Not necessarily loud, or not necessarily quiet, not necessarily harsh, or melodic, or intense, or anything like that. I mean that—that's the the whole beauty of the the genre, in a way, is that you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. But you, but you just kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting to do that while also not well um, while narrowing your range of what you're allowed. To Right. So, like, with one of the things about something like this, this is a really extreme level of minimalism, where it's just a few notes mm. in the one range, mm -hmm. just like repetitive listening to like the variations of the overlaid mm -hmm. stuff happening. You're doing that with like listening to the way a few notes f come through a, a, yeah. an amp that you can control, but you can't make it do that much. Right. You know? Right. You can't make it go well, well, do that's, anything contrary to what you're doing. Well, that's yeah. the beauty of mi of minimalism for yeah. the listeners that it, or I mean, of of repetition that is for the listener, especially with something like this, is that it, when you hear it, it almost demands that you like really listen and pay attention. Not even demands; it's, it just kind of happens by default, really. 
Um, it's, it's, I think it's one of the psychological aspects of, of sound and of, of repetition. So when you keep hearing it, you get used to it, and then you start paying attention to the, to this, the differences. And the differences become exciting. Right. Um, you know, that's why a lot of... <laughs> I think that that might be an explanation as to why a lot of popular music has been loops, repetition, loops, repetition, loops. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, well, and it goes on for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> profound things that that I think about Kamei's explosion yeah is that she's been doing the same thing for like since I've known her yeah for years and she's released so much material of this this kind of stuff and now like yeah I, I mean it's, it's it's been amazing to see to to see how many, how she, how well she's been embraced. Yeah. And she's definitely, you know, as a super contemporary, extra contemporary colleague and friend. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's been inspired. She's inspired me to, you know, to work super hard. Right. <laughs> because she does. In a way, she's, I mean, she's ubiquitous. Yeah. She has, she has, you know, so many bases covered. Yeah. So I'm curious to, like, with, I mean, this is sort of, there's so many tracks I could have played, but this is just one that I like, where it's like, it's, I mean, it sounds like her, because it's her, and, uh, but it's, it feels, I was trying to think of one that, uh, skimming around for one that's like, feels like it's like why does it make sense for somebody like this to be playing with like a free jazz band and this feels like it has some of the effects of just like unexpected sounds coming in mm -hmm. all this sort of like space like that yeah unlike a lot of electronic music which doesn't have a lot of space it felt kind of like relevant somehow. well this is one of the things that we've talked about is that in the in the way that that she's leading the pack in, in this kind of stuff is because everybody else is still on this. But she's moved on to like, I'm playing this with a free jazz band. Okay. You know? You take it to the next level. Right. Like she but yeah, like it's she's she's taking it to an unreachable level to for a lot of those people. Because a lot of those people don't have access to a free jazz band. Right. Of you know, admittedly, of our caliber. You know? Right. A lot, of, a lot of these people. You know, not to say that they're not great in their own right. You know, that we we've done, we've played alongside some of these people. Um, you know, these noise rappers or whatever that that people are calling them. Um, but she stands out. She she definitely stands out. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting 
also in in her you know just tracking her development I always I always thought that it was too out to be to like make the splash that is made yeah but it has yeah I always thought it was just like like wow this is absolutely nuts like right. no, like but maybe that's why maybe that's one explanation as to why it, it has made its splash because it's, because it's so different from anything yeah yeah and there's so much material as well like she's she's been prolific with this for you know a decade or more uh-huh uh-huh. What do you think of James? Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. <laughs> so this is James I mean, Brandon yeah, Lewis. I, he's, he's one of my best friends. Yeah, okay. I, I knew you guys played together. I didn't know he was yeah, one of your best yeah. friends. Okay. Yeah, for sure. He's, 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 he's like my brother, for sure. Yeah, okay. In like we, a lot in a lot of really cosmic ways too. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it because I, you know, I'm, I'm biased. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, you don't have <laughs> what, to. You don't have you, to, I mean, what do you think? You don't have to be a reviewer. I'm curious no, about wait, like, your deep. I mean, I don't know. Uh, he's. It's good to hear somebody who sounds like. Shit. I don't know. Yeah. No, I to, I'm gonna cut out whatever I say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that when I first met James and started going over his apartment and shedding with him and stuff, it felt like, you know, that that Ornette-Charlie Hayden meeting mm-hmm. where it's like you you meet this profound person, you know. He was the first person that I, that I started doing stuff like that with, where, like, we would meet up at his apartment and just go through a bunch of compositions and... You know, play, play free playing, and like talk about various musical concepts and concepts of improvisation, and how that connects with different historical legacies and yeah. traditions, and how it can, connects to current scenes, and like what we want to do, and you know, all, all the whole thing. You know. And do you care to share what any of those musical concepts are, and how they relate to what we're listening to right now? <laughs> <laughs> or is that too intimate? It's all about fragments. Fragments. Working the fragments. That's 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 what I can say about it. Okay. In, in another, without like going too deep into it, but it's just you're allowed to go too deep. I mean the fragments. The <laughs> it's the fragments. It's the fragments meaning like short phrases. Yeah. And and using a series of fragments that you can touch upon but also improvise within mm. and then extend that and then extend that like it, it just it builds and builds and then come back to the fragment or come back to the the redeveloped fragment of the fragment and you take fragments of that fragment and it, it just it, it goes forever you know Yes, and then of course Chad. Chad is like Hamid and a few others in the way that you know they're they're associated with you know quote unquote free jazz, but they 
they use rhythm. <laughs> like they're they're really playing with rhythm. Yeah. Like this is a four four. He's playing four four. <laughs> right. Or a three four. Um, and it still works. Yeah. Oh yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about this was like listening to a a duo recording like this. Mm. It's like as a bass player, do you ever like if you listen to something like this, where you like imagine yourself coming back and coming in like. Like, Coming in right there. Yeah, 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 where, yeah. Where it starts to the, groove. The place where I, I would be compelled to. Yeah. You know, if we if we were on stage, and and a drummer starts doing that, but in in <laughs> in a weird way, I I hate it when drummers do that. In a weird way. When drummers groove. Because drum yeah because drummers when when you're when when you're on stage playing with a drummer, drummers dictate where the music goes yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's like when the drummer, if we're playing free and then the drummer's like, all right, we're going to play a beat now. <laughs> we're going to groove now. You know, depending upon how it, you know, depending upon the synergy and the, the vibe and everything else, you know, it, it, it can be fine and it can be great and it can be, you know, right on time. But it's, it's one of those pet pet peeve things when I feel like people do that because they feel like they have to. You know, like they feel like, oh, let me let me drop a groove here because people are going <laughs> like, you know, being like, I'm gonna drop a groove because people want to dance or something like that. Like, you know, rather than dropping a groove here because the music calls for that. You know, doing things because they feel they need to, because they have to, right. rather than letting the music dictate it. That's one of my pet peeves in that. Right. So, in a lot, so sometimes when that happens, I'm just like, oh, okay, okay, we're all right, we're grooving now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Rather than it being natural, it's like, all right, we're grooving, and it's a fucking crazy groove. It's a fucking crazy groove. Thing, just because it's jazz doesn't mean it has to sound like John Coltrane and Miles Davis. Right. You know, like, okay, they, it's a tenor player and a drummer. Interstellar space. Like, no. Yeah. Because James is not Coltrane, and Chad is not Rashid Ali. Take this for what it is. Yeah. But yeah, it, it gets frustrating sometimes when when writers and journalists and people like that yeah. are just like, oh yeah, John Coltrane, right. and it's out of space. It's just, you know, it's fine, but it's it can be frustrating. It, it, it sure. can feel frustrating when. It's yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. trying to do you're trying to do your own thing. Yeah, because it's just you know whittling it down to to that. Right. When there's a potential to get something much more yeah, yeah, yeah. out of this, and something that is contemporary and immediate, yeah, you know, ra- rather than you know, two dead greats, yeah, you know, they're still dead. Like you can't really experience that. You can't go see them live, yeah, and experience their show. They can see you. <laughs>
When did your heart break? At what point did you break down and cry out, I can't take this anymore? Scream, I want to leave the country. Or did you just want to leave the city? Did you want to leave the planet? Did you hear the last breath of a woman getting her throat slashed before you left? I guess that would depend on your location between Philadelphia and Chicago. You see them fireworks last night? We was up on the hill, I found myself thinking about war. And out of nowhere, we was dead. Like ten bullets traveling throughout the city, killing nothing but black people. A whole bunch of us at the same time, different locations. Sometimes through the heart, most times through the head. I was 14, she was 16, he was seven, and she was 23. Last thing we saw was fireworks symbolizing something. Can't tell the difference between America and the unknown are forever expanding and reshaping the landscape. Collapsing the poor far away. Far from any dreams and wishes you have been planning on or hoping for yourself. Far away from you and your politics, this class war will permanently push us out of sight. If you didn't let them kill us already. We are post-World War III. And everyone is dead or at home, deleting the human parts of themselves. Control, alt, delete, backspace, escape, escape, escape. Ain't nobody coming back outside to be safe again. Today done moved every black body, not hanging from a tree, not in prison, not shucking and jiving in the house of appropriation, out. One thing for sure, people are dying with each blink of the eye. Did it break your heart when you learned he was only seven? Did it break you? Were you forever changed when she got chopped down with an axe by a man who said he was afraid? Are you afraid? Are you distracted? Are you afraid?
go. Nobody knew. <laughs> Wikipedia knew. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy who wrote that book knew. Hell yeah. He did the research. 